As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson. And before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. And if you enjoy listening to Unapologetic, then please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. But now for today's show. I am delighted to be joined by Phil Knox, an evangelism and missiology senior specialist at the Evangelical Alliance. Phil is also the author of two books, Storybearer and most recently, The Best of Friends. We've talked a little bit about friendship in the previous episode, but we're going to continue that conversation. And I just I want to point you to this page in your book where you talk about if there are anyone listening, I'm, I'm holding Phil's book up to the screen. And there's just this beautiful diagram of sort of a circle within a circle within a circle within a circle. And um, you talk about circles of friends in your book, yeah. The Best of Friends. I mean, why can't we just be great friends with everyone? Phil, you're a friendly guy. I mean, why can't you just be friends with every single person? When my kids go to Sunday school, um, I tell them, if they're a bit like me, that they're a bit distracted, I tell them, I tell them, if you don't hear the question, don't know the answer. 90% of the time, the answer is Jesus. So the reason that we can't be deep friends with everybody is that Jesus wasn't deep friends with everybody. And he was really, really intentional. But, but the reason that the reason that's the case is that, again, in the, in the divine mystery of the incarnation, Jesus is fully God and fully human. But in his humanity, he, 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 in, the, the, he inhabits a finite relational capacity and finite time. And we don't have all of the time and relationship capacity available to be able to invest as well as we could in, in everyone. And what's fascinating is in the last few years, there's been some fascinating research around the circles of friends. And so you've just got a book out. I'm going to get a book out. Um, a guy called Robin Dunbar, who wrote this book. Again, if you're watching, if you're just listening, it's a book called Friends by Robin Dunbar. And he wrote this book and, it, and, and he's a leading, not yet Christian, anthropologist, evolutionary biologist. And what he did was he tried to find the kind of correlation between the brain sizes of monkeys and their social grouping. And he found that the basically the the bigger the the bigger the brain, uh, the 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 bigger the social grouping was. So he then he said, you know, if we're mapping this forward um, uh, in terms of humans, what what's the kind of relational capacity biologically of a human? And he came up with this number of about 150. And so uh, 150 is a kind of about the average of the capacity of our relationship. Now, if you're listening to this and thinking I haven't even got 
20 friends, let alone 150. Don't worry. You're not meant to have 150 friends. That's just your capacity for people who you can know well. Then what Robin Dunbar did is he asked how many good friends can you have and how many great friends can you have? And he found you can have about 12 good friends and about three great friends. And as I'm reading this, as I'm researching friendship, I'm like, that sounds really familiar. And it turns out that the son of God, when he came to invest in his relationships, he, he, he had a very similar pattern. So in the book, I make the, I make the tangible jump between, you know, Jesus had a, had a 72 in Luke 10 who he invested in. You add on the women, you add on the, the, the other friends that he had. And I reckon you get to about 150. But we also do know that Jesus had 12 friends who he invested in. You know, there's, I think there's a cheesy line in the book that says something like, Jesus' greatest miracle wasn't the feeding of the 5,000. It was having 12 close friends in his 30s. And so he has these tw- kind of 12 friends who he invests in, who are his good friends. Then he has Peter, James and John, who are the great friends. And so one of my encouragements is in the book is to think about those relational circles and think about many of us, as I've researched the book, many of us have lots of friends in the outer layers, but not so many of the inner layers. Or... We feel stressed and frantic because we've got an inner circle of like 20 and we wonder why we're stretched and strained and our WhatsApp, WhatsApps are full. Um, so one of my encouragements is to just really think strategically uh, and intentionally and purposefully about those circles and have a really healthy balance of great friends, good friends and just friends. I mean, you mentioned there that Jesus' inner circle was Peter, James and John. Why is three the magic number for one of the better <laughs> I, I don't know I, I think probably it's how we were created you know it seem it seemingly the science and the scriptures um basically seem seem to back that up um i, I think i think it just depends on our you know in, in the book i talk about the kind of values of friendship and we just don't have enough time to 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 invest in in a wide range and i think it depends on frequency of contact as well so for me I've got with my job and my family and church life, I've got just about enough time to see my best mate once or twice a week and have a good chat. And he can look me in the eyes and say, how are you doing? And I can do the same for him. And then the others in my other circle are my wife, who I see more than once a week, thankfully. <laughs> um, but also I have a phone call with my brother and sister. Um, and, and that, that's what I've got. I've got, I've, I've really pushed the boundaries with four. Um, but, um, but that's kind of my inner circle. I haven't got, I wish I had more time to invest in great people and, and to make other people feel more valued. I just don't. And I think for me, that's why, that's why it's a real challenge. And that, but also that's why when you, when you have to come to reality, that like, it's really hard because you have to choose. We have to choose how we spend our time. Um, and we have finite amounts of it. I want to talk a little bit about sort of how we choose those friendships and and how we create those friendships. But before we do that, while we're talking about Jesus, I just as I was I was reading your book and sort of you know thinking about Jesus and the close friends that he had, it did make me think: Is it kind of uncomfortable? Do you think that Jesus didn't really treat all of his friends in the same yeah. way? I mean, I mean, do you think his approach to friendship is kind of at odds with the belief that Jesus should love everyone equally, or is it is is it a really separate thing? Can he sort of love the people that he's not best friends? It's it's yeah. Yeah, right. But I also don't think we get to create God in our own image, right? So, so if we were if we were making a perfect Jesus, he he, we'd probably make him friends with everybody. We don't we don't get to choose what Jesus. That's at the heart of a huge amount of issues within the Christian world at the moment. But that's I ask the first thing. I think the second thing is yeah, it, yeah, it does great. I think do you know who I feel most sorry for, Andrew, because 
James and John in the inner circle, brothers. Peter in the inner circle, brother of Andrew. It's Andrew who introduces Peter to Jesus. I'd have been gutted. Can you imagine the moment, right, where they're about, they get to, they get to the foot of Mount Hermon, which is they reckon where, where the Mount Transfiguration takes place. And he says, you know, Thomas, Bartholomew, you know, you're staying there. Philip, you're staying there. Both, you know, both, you know, Simon, you're staying there. You know, Andrew, you're, st- Andrew's like, what? What? They just would have been really awkward. But I think, I think Jesus, Jesus clearly is modeling something there. Um, and it, and even then, you know, Peter, James and John are useless at times as well. You know, Gethsemane, Jesus is at his lowest, the lowest ebb spiritually. Father, would you take this cup from me? Peter, James and John come with him and they fall asleep. I reckon Andrew was there back there awake. So, yeah, so I think it's, but it's a, re- it's a really interesting tension that I think raises both of those issues um, and, and doesn't give us a get out of jail free card when we exclude people because we need to do that lovingly and sensitively, but does encourage us to think carefully about how we spend our time. Well, let's talk a little bit about that and sort of how we create some of these friendships. What what are some of the key ingredients, do you think, for good friendships? Yeah, again, the answer is always Jesus, isn't it? And so I guess looking, looking first of all at that intentional piece uh, we, that we've talked about, I think the I think the next thing I'd say is is that the beautiful I think as I'm I've been just lent so deeply into John fifteen as a really fabulous picture of of friendship both with God and, and with others and at the heart of that is that really famous verse there is no greater love than they that lay their life down for their friends and again the first thing we need to say really is is in relation to the circles. The challenge is that even that's quite the weakness of that model. It's quite a self-centered model, right? You're saying, I'm at the center of the circles. Who are the people that I'm going to kind of have around me? And, and even when we think about the power of friendship, uh, it, there's a tendency to kind of think, you know, I should be a good friend and I should have friends because it gives me the gift of life. I think the flip side of that, when we say we lay our lives down for our friends, is we, we say, what, what's the gift of life that I can give to others? What's the gift of friendship? Who who can I be a good friend to and be in there in a circle and at least offer that, whether they choose to reciprocate or not, that is there. So I think that sacrificial thing and, and, and the implications of that practically are things like you, you can't be right all the time. You know, avoiding the need to be right. You know, sometimes the, the, the values of friendship and be, being friends with people who are different from you and, and being being in awkward social situations. Sometimes that's what friendship looks like. Sometimes it means when when the proverbial hits the fan, it means dropping everything and doing not doing what you want to do. You know, I had a moment recently where a friend is going through a, just a, a real storm in life, and I just got back from somewhere I was absolutely exhausted, and I knew the right thing to do was to go and be with my friends, uh, but I did so so grudgingly. I was like, I picked myself off the floor and I was like, Come on, honey, come on, Noxie, you need to get this. You wrote the book on friendship. But regardless, <laughs> there's just something I think about the kind of the sacrificial nature. Um, and then I think the other thing, kind of the other real value of, of, of friendship, which we might come on to, is there's just the diversity of friendship. You know, I think there's a beauty in being friends with people who are like us, but there's also something at the heart of good friendship where we kind of get to know people who are different from us and and not only find common ground but also hear the stories of others and some of the most beautiful friendships as i've researched the book are, are across age age but age differences stories ethnicities 
differences between rich and poor. I think there's something so beautiful about that, that the church has to offer, that we have to offer through friendship with people who are different. We need to take a short break, but before we get back to the discussion, I want to invite you to take a look at a new unbelievable course. It's called Did It Really Happen? The Birth of Jesus. Perhaps you've been asked questions about the historicity of Jesus, or maybe you have questions of your own. We've made an in-depth course with experts and theologians diving into the historical accuracy and arguments for and against the Jesus birth narratives. You will be guided through all areas of the discussion with N.T. Wright, Emil Ewing, Daryl Bock and others. Check it out by visiting premierunbelievable.com slash courses. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. You shared some, I thought, really quite harrowing statistics in your book. You know, you said that in the US, almost half of white people have no black friends and a third of white Brits don't have any friends from an ethnic minority background. But but why is diversity clearly so important in friendship? I, I think, one again, one of the breakthrough moments I had while researching the book was looking at the makeup of the disciples. Right. So so my premise is I reckon seven of the disciples knew each other before Jesus called them. They were fishermen from Bethsaida. I think let me see if I can remember. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew and Thomas were all kind of from Bethsaida. They would have known each other, tight knit fishing community um, and clearly would have kind of got on. You know, I think very similar age, background, story you know, ethnicity, probably would have laughed at the same things, voted the same way. I'm not sure the Romans were voted in, but, you know, <laughs> it would all have been very similar. But then what, I, this breakthrough moment as I researched was the kind of the diversity of the other disciples. And interestingly, even the seven, five split is, is, is I think, telling. Where Jesus said, actually, most of your friends can get can be the same. You have, you know, real common grounds. And we're wired like that. We're wired to connect with people who are, who are similar to us. But then... You have these five, and in the five is is Simon the Zealot, who uh, there were many different postures that the that the, the the Hebrews took to the Roman occupation. One of them was we're just going to kill the Romans, and 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 Simon was a zealot. And then there was Matthew, who was not only a tax collector, but he was the worst type of tax collector. Uh, was known as Little Mockers, who kind of basically uh, was skimming off skimming off profits from the Romans. Tax, taxing imports and exports. You know, Jesus, when he calls Matthew, is from a tax collector's booth, which means that we know that Matthew was a little mockers. And and the, the, the tax collectors would have hated the zealots. And the zealots would probably not only have killed Romans, but killed tax collectors. Mm. So Simon and Matthew in the room for the same, for the first time, would have wanted to kill each other. And, and Jesus so demonstrates here that we are meant to be friends with people who we disagree with. That's interesting, isn't it, in, in, in the 21st century, in a kind of cancel culture moment. And, 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 and not, not only that, but the Bible so clearly demonstrates all the way through friendship of different ages, friendship of different backgrounds, and, and especially in a kind of multicultural, multi-story, multi-wealth 
multi-age Britain, we need to ask the question, how do we be friends with people who are different from us? And I guess, yeah, you touched on that, the kind of inter um, intergenerational friendship. We see that sometimes when it's done well within the yeah. church, don't we? Not always. But but why is that so important, the intergenerational friendships? Because I guess often in the secular world, we don't see that. We see friends who are of yeah. similar ages, you know, whether that's because they're work colleagues and, and things like that. But But why is intergenerational so important, do you think? Yeah, I think I think again from from both the world and the Bible. So first of all, from a, from a worldly perspective, um, there's some harrowing stats around how many um, over seventies their their closest friends as their television or their pets. So there's something about loneliness that that can be solved by by different generations. From a Christian perspective, um, there, there's some fascinating research from the states which looked at the characteristics of those in their twenties who are still going for it with Jesus. One of the key characteristics of resilient disciples is that they have what's called faith champions, older friends, not necessarily within the family, who they are friends with and who they can follow the example of and have conversations across the generations. So important. Then from a biblical perspective, I mean, this is really easy. You know, you look at throughout scripture, you know, you've got Elijah and Elisha, you've got um, uh, Jesus and the disciples, you've got uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, sorry, Paul and Timothy. And, and then and then the, the example I use in the book is Moses and Jethro. So Moses' father-in-law has this really catalytic relationship, friendship with, where he kind of corrects him, encourages him, challenges him. But throughout scripture, you've got this generation to generation that Psalms talk about, we will commend your works from one generation to the next. In Judges, it says, this harrowing verse at the beginning of Judges that says, that generation knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. Well, whose fault is that? It's clearly the fault of the previous generation, right? They've not passed it on. So that that's why intergenerational friendship matters so much. I mean, one of the factors that you talk about in the book being sort of a key ingredient for good friendships is vulnerability. That, again, seems to go sort of so opposite to, to what we're seeing in the world today, right. where, you know, it's all about like, you know, b- being strong and, and things like that. But But why is vulnerability so important, particularly when it comes to friendship, do you think, Phil? I think I think there's layers of there's layers of friendship that I think everyone listening to this will 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 resonate with. And there's a moment where you you go from just talking about, you know, how you how your sports team did or how work is to a moment where you open your heart up. And in that in that moment I've I recognize it in myself where you you feel so so vulnerable. You know, you feel you feel open to attack almost because that person could choose to reject you they could choose to use that information against you but more often than not what i've observed is that person on the other side of the table opens up and says can i tell you about my my life and my my challenges and that leads to to trust first and foremost probably and then to a kind of an authenticity and a kind of i've been through that too moment i think it's rob parsons who says if you want acquaintances tell them your successes if you want friends, tell them your hopes and your fears and I think, and your failures. And there's something, there's something about a lot. And I've recognized the barriers, even with my best mate, when I met my best mate, if I've been stupid and done something, I've recognized the, the, the reluctance to want to share that with him because I want him to think I'm amazing. But I also recognize that if I don't do that, we, we, we lose the opportunity to build a bit of trust but also more often than not, he will then have the opportunity and the 
sometimes will then come back and say, I'm really struggling with this. And that's a, that's a really healthy dynamic in friendship. And, and you can't, you can't, I would say you can't have people in your inner circles without moments of vulnerability, which lead to that, that next level of that deeper layer. How do you think we get that balance right though? Because we clearly shouldn't be like airing our dirty laundry in every friendship conversation. <laughs> How do right, we get the balance right. between fun and all the things that are such yeah. important elements of friendship, but obviously being vulnerable and sharing and exposing yeah. the things that we don't necessarily want to expose? Yeah, if you're not doing well and you go to church on a Sunday morning, it's okay for 90% of the people <laughs> who ask you how you're doing to say you're fine. So long as when that one friend says, how are you doing? If your world's falling apart, you look them in the eye and you burst into tears. That's a, you know what I mean, I think, I, but I think, but I think it comes down to time and intensity, doesn't it? Really? I think, for, so if I think about kind of, um, and this comes down to actually, if you don't spend enough time with with it, with your really good friends, you'll, those times will either become only fun or really really intense <laughs> and and neither of those things are are good actually there's a real balance that happens isn't there i think but also it's often when you spend loads of time with with others that you then get the opportunity to go deep so good example of this i went away uh last autumn with a bunch of mates who we you know who i have variety of level of depth of relationship with and we had a absolute boy climbed some mountains and went paddleboarding and you know had an absolutely fantastic weekend but on the sunday morning then we just had a moment where we just went how we all doing you know and that that i think i i thought that might last half an hour three hours later well. you know we'd all had that moment of death and and now with each of those fellas i can't tell you what what uh what that's done for the depth of our friendship with them and that makes a huge difference so do you think we need to be physically meeting with our friends on a regular basis or is that something I guess in today's society where we're all sort of so all over the place but but also so connected through social media and you know we're chatting over video right now we're not in the same space yeah it ca can you be having those friendships in a in a sort of technological way as much as in in a face-to-face -face interaction do you think I think it's always going to be limited if I'm really honest I think there is something we were I think we were created for for presence and, and for touch and so so I've even you know I think in the in the book I talk about the the need for a baby kind of growing up to to but the if the baby is not held and and looked at the, the damage that does in the long term to to us as humans I think we're created as tangible people and and we're all on a spectrum aren't we you know some of us will wear happily wear free hugs t-shirts other others of us do not want an embrace anywhere else, and that's okay and recognizing that is part of the art of friendship but i think the pr presence is so important and in the book i talk about the, the moments of grief in my life and and having people with me and looking back on those moments uh i, I just don't think it would be the same if if i was you know with my with my best mate the night my dad died when we're sat together crying together in the kitchen that wouldn't have quite had the same impact over a zoom screen or on facetime i just don't i think i think my experience is that presence really matters and i think presence we could go down a whole theological track here of just presence being important and, and god's gift of his presence to us unless your presence goes with us we will not go you know god the the, the beauty of the incarnation god could, could 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 Jesus have related to humanity in the same way virtually? I'm not sure. There is something so powerful about God tabernacling, 
being with us, the word becomes flesh and makes it moves into the neighborhood. That that for me tells me that presence is important. Um, Phil, as we come to the end of this podcast, what are your top tips for creating and maintaining good friendships? And, and as you say, you know, being there, being present with our friends. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I would add, I'd add, we talk about presence, we're vulnerable, but I say, uh, uh, the, the other value that I would add for the big principle is time. You know, time is like oxygen to friendship. Um, those three things combine, if you're looking for the kind of vital ingredients, how to, how to grow a friendship, those three for me would be the, the big ones. But in terms of practically, the first thing I don't think we do anywhere near enough is pray for friends. So we pray for all kinds of things. I, I, I pray for my sons that they had grown up to have really good friends. I pray for myself that God would introduce me to the right people. And in the book, we talk about how God is the great connector. God just, I think, I think he, I love him as, I love the idea of God as the kind of the orchestrator of the social network and going, those two guys, they're going to get on so well. Let's make that happen. You know, I really think that how Jesus at the cross connects John with his mother, just that power. So I pray. The second thing is, is that God's not the only connector at play. There are also some people who are really good at connecting people. And my advice is to get to know them. So I've got a mate called Andy. And Andy is just phenomenal at going, do you know this person? You need to get to know this person. And I reckon I know, I don't know, 10 to 20% of my friends because of Andy. And and so if you've got people that you look at and go, yeah, they make this stuff look effortless. They're good at that. Get to know them a bit better. You hang around more with them. You'll get to know more people. I think that's that's, that's and, I, and churches are full of those kind of people. Um. I think then there's an art to then kind of finding common common ground, an art to the right questions, the right conversations. We don't, no one teaches us this stuff. Um, there's very few books on this stuff. But I think there's something about kind of saying, my favourite question when I meet someone is, you know, what keeps you busy when you're not here? On, you know, you know, we're, we're chatting on a, you know, whatever it is, a Tuesday. What keeps you busy on a, on a Tuesday afternoon roof, you know, normally or whatever? You get to know people's work or their hobbies. Um, op- asking open-ended questions. Tell me about. Tell me about this part of your life. Getting to know people, finding common grounds. The vulnerability piece we've touched on, um, and I think then there's something about. There's no substitute as well for being there in the highs and the lows of life for friends. And so, you know, I I I was best man at a wedding a couple of weeks ago. I spoke about the groom. And said, I will never forget the moment when my mum died. They provided the bulk of our meals for the best part of two months. I'll never forget that. You know, in terms of my depth of my friendship with him, I'll never forget that. And and so I think, and at the same time, that was not, that was a valley moment when mum died on Saturday two weeks ago was a mountaintop. So we get to celebrate with the best of our friends, the mountaintops and the valleys of life. Um, and making the most of those important those and making choices to make sure we're there and offer ourselves and accept the invitation in those moments. All of that helps. That's almost all we have time for. But before we go, I want to invite you to take a look at a new unbelievable course. It's called Did It Really Happen? The Birth of Jesus. Perhaps you've been asked questions about the historicity of Jesus, or maybe you have questions of your own. We've made an in-depth course with experts and theologians diving into the historical accuracy and arguments for and against the Jesus birth narrative. You will be guided through all areas of the discussion with N.T. Wright, Amy or Ewing, Daryl Bock and others. Check it out by visiting premierunbelievable.com slash courses.
You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources, and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.